and amen. Do you love the Lord this morning? I need to know if you're excited to be at church this morning. Yes. Okay, good, because the 9.30 service, I wasn't so sure, but I knew the 11 o'clock service would not let me down. All right, we're going to have church now. Why don't you take your seats? Thank you for being here. That's what I'm talking about, 11 o'clock service. Go ahead and take out your Bibles right now, if you're ready. Turn to Matthew 27. We are imperfect people, aren't we? It's just uh, good to go ahead and acknowledge that from the very beginning, that we are all imperfect. We all blow it at times. We all make mistakes and we all fail. There's no facade. There's no false pretenses. Nobody in this place is pretending he or she is perfect. Am I right? But isn't it good that even though we fail and we make mistakes, our God never fails? He is perfect. He is good. He is steady. He never leaves us even when we leave him. He never forsakes us even when we betray him. So he is our rock. Even, though, even when we don't know what we're doing, even when we don't know what to do, God is good. He is, he is in control. And today we're going to talk about failure as we look at two disciples, two guys that maybe you've heard of, one named Peter and one named Judas. These two guys, they both were followers of Jesus. They both failed. They both felt really bad about it too, to be honest. But one self-destructed and one went on to do great things for God. And that shows us that it's not how you fail, it's how you respond to your failure. That's what's going to determine the outcome of your life, not that you failed. Everybody fails. It's how you respond to your failure. You're not alone in failing, but you can make wise choices, godly choices that will make all the difference in the world for you. So you're going to fail. It's unavoidable. If you're going to fail, you might as well fail forward. And that's the title of this message. Will you look at your neighbor and say, if you're going to fail, fail forward. That's what I want you to know this morning. Go ahead. If you're taking notes, you can write that down as the title of this message. Fail forward. First, let's look at Judas. Judas Iscariot. Judas was the Greek version of his Hebrew name, Judah, which was a common name in that time. And Iscariot, uh, theologians aren't really sure exactly what that name means. His father was Simon Iscariot. We're not sure if that's referring to the region he was from. Another possibility is it's referring to this group of Jewish assassins, which is very interesting, called the Sicarii who were determined to throw the Romans out of Jerusalem. So either way, this, Jew, this Judas guy, he, he was mixed up in some crazy stuff. He was a bad guy. And he's typically the guy that we all boo in the New Testament story, right? He's the bad guy. He comes on the scene and everyone's like, boo, Judas, boo. He's such a bad guy. Nobody likes him. No, it's not really a surprise that he also handled the money, huh? <laughs> Typical. Look at Matthew 27, verse 1. We're going to look at his failure. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned. He declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. He just killed himself. He gave up. 
Of course, we all love to kind of hate Judas, if we're being honest. He is the bad guy of the story. He's, he's just easy to hate, to be honest. He betrayed Jesus. I mean, who would do that? <laughs> right? But think about this. Sometimes we, we got to step back and take a broader look at this situation. Judas, he was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the original 12 disciples that Jesus called and said, follow me. Out of all the people in the world that Jesus called, he's one of the 12 who were picked to be closest to Jesus. We know that the Judas, he probably did some good things even. Think about this. Judas, he was one of the disciples when Jesus sent them out two by two. He gave them power to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. And these disciples, they went out in pairs to do ministry on behalf of Jesus. So, I mean, I think about that. First off, I'm like, who wants to be the guy paired up with Judas? How much does that stink, right? You're like, oh, not Judas. I didn't want him as my partner. I wanted James. I wanted anyone else but Judas. But I'm sure that when he was out, he was doing good things. I'm sure he contributed to the kingdom of God. He even had a mom who probably loved him. He was a guy like you and I. But we know from scripture that he never believed. He hardened his heart against Jesus and he betrayed the son of God, which shows that you can do good. You can contribute, but your life can still end in a tragic failure. And I've got to be honest, there's some backdoor encouragement from the life of Judas. Because I've got to tell you, like, as a pastor, there are times where you, you pray for people, you love them, you invest in them, you dedicate their babies, you baptize their children, and they say, I love you, pastor. You're my pastor. You're the best preacher in the whole world. And by world, I mean on Ellsworth Road in Mesa. You're hilarious, of course, and I will never find another pastor like you. And then five minutes later, that same dude is on Facebook saying that you are the spawn of Satan. And it's like, how did this transition happen exactly? Where one minute we were friends and the next minute I'm your mortal enemy. And see, moments like that, pastors, we just kind of want to implode in sorrow. But we look at Judas and we're like, even if Jesus lost one, then that means I don't have to go jump off a bridge. You know, there's hope for me. There's hope for you as parents. If you're a parent, you could be a great parent parent. You could love your kids. You could sacrifice to give them everything. You could try your very best, but your children still have a choice and they can choose to make foolish decisions. It's not a reflection on you. Even Jesus invested in someone. He was the best teacher who ever lived. And yet this guy, Judas, one of his boys, they betrayed him. He abandoned him and he turned his back on him. Judas had free will. God knew in advance that Judas would choose to betray Jesus. And he said, I'm going to use that as part of my plan to redeem humanity. But he knew Judas had free will and he would choose to betray Jesus. He failed. I mean, talk about an epic fail. But then what's worse is that he failed in his failure. And now he's suffering for his failure, the same suffering that anyone who chooses to reject Jesus Christ suffers in eternity in hell. Judas is in hell right now. He failed. But then there was another guy named Simon Peter. This is our, our favorite guy. Like, this is our favorite disciple, I, I think. He's definitely mine. He's impulsive, so I don't feel as bad about myself. He gets into trouble. His dad was named John. Their family, they fished for a living. He was married, which I think is interesting. I don't know. Did you know that Peter was married? 
It's, it's funny, if you grew up Catholic, maybe you were wondering because you heard you know, that priests are supposed to be celibate. But do you realize that in Corinthians, Paul says that if Peter had a wife, I can have a wife. Right? Like, I'm saying, that's, that's right, bro. Fight for your rights. You know? I don't know where this whole celibacy thing came from, but it's not biblical. Peter had a wife, praise God. He's always listed first among the disciples, whereas Judas is listed last among the disciples, probably because he was one of the closest to Jesus. And we can now read about his epic failure in Luke 22, in the same moments leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Starting in verse 54, it says, So they arrested him, Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, don't ever say that. Don't ever talk to a woman like that. It's just free, free tips for today. He said, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too, and he smells like fish the way the Galileans do. But Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Talk about a tragic failure. Here's Peter, the number one guy, Jesus' right-hand man. He said, Lord, I will never leave you. I will not abandon you. I'm going to fight to the bitter end. And now here he is on the moment of truth. Jesus is arrested. He's taken to the high priest's home. Peter's following from a distance. He's in the dark. He's hiding in the shadows. He doesn't want to be seen. He's scared. He's afraid. And he's there. And then he's out in this courtyard, okay, at this house around this fire. And this little girl is like, wait a sec. You're one of Jesus's guys. Peter, Mr. I'm going to cut people's ears off with swords. Mr. I'll never leave you, Lord, is like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't even know him. Right? Talk about an epic fail. He denies him once, twice, three times. And have you ever seen this before where it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter? I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but, but Jesus, he was in this crowd. He was probably a ways away. He didn't hear Judas speaking, but he knew what he was saying because he's God. And he turned at that exact moment. And that's when Peter remembered that Jesus predicted he would deny him three times. And he left weeping bitterly. I mean, we, we see this kind of failure. It's an epic failure. It's a, it's a tragic moment of failure and I hope that we can all relate to this because we all fail. We all blow it. We make mistakes, sometimes on accident. Sometimes we sin. We all fall short of God's standard. Everyone fails. Everyone fails. You're not alone. You fail, I fail. We all fail. Sometimes it's an everyday fail. Just your normal run-of-the-mill daily failure. You know, like you want to be a Christian 
You want to follow Jesus and honor him with your life, but then you get into a car, you know, and you break the law and you lose your temper and you're road raging out there. Maybe you get short with your kids. You want to love them well, but then you just snap at them. And you know, you know, I shouldn't do that. Maybe you get short with your spouse and you, you make a snotty remark. It's just everyday failures. Like you're saying, I'm going to eat one bite of dessert, one bite, but then you eat the whole thing. Everyday, everyday failures. Like your wife's like, you left the toilet seat up again. Ah, oh, fail. We all fail. But then there's also epic fails. These are the failures that kind of mark our lives and, and we remember them and they kind of shape who we become. They're drastic turning points in our lives. These are moments like bankruptcy, divorce, being imprisoned, becoming addicted to a substance, being estranged from your family, getting fired from a job, you didn't see it coming. Listen, church, you can't choose how you fail, but you can choose how you'll respond to your failure. And this makes all the difference in the world. You're going to fail. You don't know how you will. We can't predict how we will fail. But you can choose how you will respond to your failure. Peter and Judas, they both failed tragically and epically. But they responded to their failure very differently. And that changed the outcome. Peter had a bad moment. But Judas had a bad ending. Listen, you can fail, you can have a bad moment, but you don't have to have a bad ending. If you'll handle your failure the right way. Well, there's a normal way, there's a typical way that we handle our failure. It's, it's the natural human response. This is how humans have handled failure from the very first time we failed. And you'll see this in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve the first humans were placed in the garden by God himself. God gave them this whole beautiful paradise to live in. How many of you would love to be there in paradise? God said, man, you've got freedom. You've got dominion over creation. You just love life and enjoy, right? And he said, all these trees in the garden, right? All these trees, good. Go for it. Enjoy. This one tree, one, this one tree, no. Off limits, don't do it. But what do they do? They're in the garden. The serpent comes in. He deceives Eve. She offers the fruit to her husband. She's naked and she's got fruit. So obviously he gives in. And sin enters the world. So then what happens? Then verse 8, it says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So naturally they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, mm. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. I did. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they failed, and they, they responded poorly. They made the typical, the typical human response. They blame shifted. Adam said, you know, it's this woman, God, this woman that, by the way, <laughs> you gave me. You did this, right? And then she's like, nah, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. The serpent, he snuck in and he just 
deceived me. And the serpent was like, I did it. <laughs> right? People blame shifting. So I want to talk to you about this because you're going to fail. And here is how to fail when you fail. I'm going to tell you how. First, hide. If you're going to fail and you want to fail in your failure, just hide. This is what people naturally just do. They tend to hide. That's what Adam did. I mean, think about this. Adam is the first man, and right off the bat, he's given us a bad name, not the sharpest tool in the shed. He sins, so he hides from God in a bush, right? How dumb is that? He's hiding in the bushes. I heard you coming, so I hid because I was naked. I mean, like, come on, bro. Think, right? Like, if I was up here preaching a bad sermon and I was embarrassed and I was like, I'm just going to hide. Right? Like, you're like, this pastor is stupid. You can't just hide from God. You can't hide from your problems, you know? And this is what people do. They just want to ignore. How often do you encounter this where someone blows it, they make a mistake, but they act like it never happened? They won't acknowledge it. They don't want to talk about it. They definitely won't want you to bring it up. Want to brush it under the rug. Even though everyone knows you messed up, man. You have, you have pie on your face. They don't want to talk about it. They're living in denial. They might even literally hide. They might even say, I don't want to be around the people that saw me fail. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to go to church I don't want to see that person coming down the hallway. If I do, I'm going to go the other way. They hide. Here's how to fail when you fail. Number two, blame shift, right? If you get caught red-handed, just blame someone else. Point the finger, right? Just like Adam and Eve. Don't take responsibility. Blame Adam. That's what he did. He said, it's the woman you gave me. Eve, it's the serpent's fault. Neither of them said, yeah, I made a mistake. I, I, I admit it. I blew it. I sinned. They both, they started shifting the blame, pointing the finger. Eve even blamed the serpent. And how, that's sad, right? It's like the guy that smokes three packs a day for 40 years, then he dies of cancer and wants to yell about the tobacco companies, you know? It doesn't make sense. It's like the parents who have bratty kids and they blame it on the television, even though they neglect their kids. It's like, come on, you can't just shift the blame. We want to shift the blame to remove our culpability. But when we do that, it also removes our opportunity, our opportunity to, to grow, if you're going to fail, you want to at least let it be an opportunity to grow. But when you blame other people for your failures, you give up your power to change. If you'll blame other people instead of taking responsibility, you have now made yourself a victim. You have no power to affect the outcome of the situation. So you can't just blame other people. I mean, I'm sure that Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, he had reasons to blame Jesus for why he did what he did. He's you know, probably said, like, I'm not getting fed. This is what people say, like, before they leave their churches. <clears throat> I'm sure he said, you know, Jesus isn't really doing this whole Messiah thing right. I'm sure he maybe blames him and said, you know, well, he has not really paid enough attention to me. He spends all of his time with Peter, James, and John. I'm sure he had a lot of reasons to blame Jesus. If you shift the blame, you'll never grow. You'll never move forward. Here's the third thing you need to do. If you're going to fail when you fail, just isolate yourself. 
Maybe you just need to isolate yourself because you're angry and frustrated at the people who you're blaming. Maybe because you're ashamed of your sin and you're hiding. So you want to you shift blame. You want to go to where nobody knows your name. You want to isolate yourself. We all fail, and then the natural tendency is to isolate. We see this with animals. They get mortally wounded, and they run off, and they hide to die, to lick their wounds and die alone. People do this all the time in the church world. I've seen it happen all my life. It still happens today. You get a young follower of Jesus, wants to honor the Lord with his life. He's trying his best, and yet he blows it. Maybe he said, I'm not going to have sex until I get married. I want to, but I'm not. I'm not going to do it. Because I know that, that sex is for marriage. Did you know that, by the way, like that sex is for marriage? You never know. Uh, but that's God's plan. Get married, then start having sex. It's so much better that way. Trust me. Anyways, then this young guy is like, you know, let's say he makes a mistake and he falls. I've seen this happen. He's ashamed. I blew it. I can't believe it. I said I wouldn't. And so what does he do now? He disappears for three months. Why? Well, well, he's ashamed. And he's like, I can't go back to church. I blew it. I'm a failure. I let God down. This is what people do. They isolate themselves when they fail. When you isolate yourself, it only hurts you. It hurts you and it prevents you from recovering from a failure. We see this happen in church where maybe you go to a life group and you're there and there's people in that group and maybe you were friends with them and maybe you got your feelings hurt. And so now you're like, well, I'm not going to do that again. I'm just going to stay away from that situation. Maybe you have been coming to church. Maybe you went to a church at some point and you got hurt at your church. I love when people talk about how the church hurt them. I got hurt by the church. You know that there are people who've been hurt by the church. There are. And I'm sorry that that's happened. But is that a surprise to anyone? If a church is filled with imperfect people who are there saying, like, we're sinners, and then you get hurt by some of those people. It's like, hey, welcome to the club. We're relying on Jesus to meet our needs and love us. It's not just people. Sometimes people let you down. You can't respond to that moment by isolating yourself from the very people that God wants you to be around. It's not going to benefit you. Nobody has ever isolated themselves and said, you know, I didn't go to church for a year because I got hurt. And my marriage got so much stronger. It doesn't happen. Does not. Nobody, not one has ever said, I stopped going to church for a couple years, but I really grew in my walk with God during that time. Let me tell you, I grew so much. Nope. Doesn't happen. You cannot grow in isolation. In order to move forward, you've got to be with God's people. Amen. Have you seen the Discovery Channel? I love the Discovery Channel. I love when they show the plains of Africa. And there are the gazelles, beautiful gazelles, running from cheetahs, running from lions. I remember, you know, being watching that kind of show with my family. And, you know, I remember my little sister would be there crying, like, what's happening? Like, like run, gazelle, no! And I'm there like, yes, get him. I'm like rooting for the lions, you know. I think it's just like sad and typical. They're always doing this. The predators always look for the isolated prey, the one that's alone, the one that's wounded, the one that's sick. When you isolate yourself, you identify yourself as a target for the enemy of God's people. 
your easy pickings. Don't isolate yourself. If you do, you're going to fail in your failure. Don't hide. Don't shift the blame to other people. Don't isolate yourself. If you do, you're, you're, you're hopeless, just like Judas. Or you can respond like Peter, hopefully like, like Peter did, the way that God wants you to respond to failure. This is how to fail forward. First, confess. You got to confess. You got to come clean. That's why it's the first step to recovery in every recovery program is admitting I have a problem. It's when you say, yeah, that's right. I messed up. And there's something powerful about acknowledging your mistakes, acknowledging your problem. You know, nobody's ever gotten in shape, gotten physically fit before they had that moment. They looked in the mirror and they said, yeah, I'm getting chubby. You just got to confess it. You got to acknowledge it. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. And I want to encourage you in this to have a competition with yourself. You want to grow as a follower of Jesus? Do you want to be spiritually mature? I'm waiting for a response because this is not that kind of church where we just talk in silence like a, like a professor lecturing in a hall. So you do want to, I assume, or else you wouldn't be here. Then see how quickly you can acknowledge your own wrongdoing. Play a little game with yourself because the typical, you know, behavior is that we mess up, we blow it, and then, you know, a couple days go by and maybe you're like, well, okay, I did something, you know. What if you make it kind of a competition to confess your sin, your, your mistake, your failure as quick as you can? Like, I want to see you just getting quicker at it. Because if you do, you can grow. You can fail forward. It just gets so good at it. We're like, yes, I made a mistake. That was me. I'm not proud. I did it. I want you like in the middle of kicking your dog, like I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> this is not right, <laughs> you know? In Psalm 32, verse 5, we see David, who he blew it in the worst way. He had an affair with this woman, Bathsheba. She got pregnant, so he had her husband killed, which is like the worst thing I think anyone could ever do. And he spent some time in denial before God. He wouldn't acknowledge his sin. And in Psalm 32, he said, before I confessed my sin, I wasted away. Your hand of discipline was heavy upon me day and night, and my strength evaporated. But then in verse 5, he says this, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Aren't you grateful that God forgives your guilt and that he takes it away when you acknowledge it? Come on, we got to give God praise, church. This is the 11 o'clock service. I know that you guys love to give God praise. Here's what we got to do. We want to confess. Second, we got to repent. Repentance is not just saying you're sorry. You remember growing up and your mom would be like, hey, say you're sorry, but you weren't sorry, like at all. Like, you're like, sorry. She's like, my mom, she's like, no, that's not good enough. Do it again. Like, sorry. No, you weren't sorry. Like, she just was standing there until she felt like I meant it. Saying you're sorry is not the same thing as repenting. Just saying you're sorry, I mean, you could do that all day. You could make the wrong turn, go onto the wrong road, drive down that road saying, I'm, I'm sorry I'm on this road. But unless you turn around, your situation is never going to get better. You won't move forward. Both Judas and Peter, they were sorry. The Bible tells us they felt remorse. Judas felt remorse. He, he was torn up about it. Peter wept bitterly like an ugly cry, you know? He was ashamed of himself. He was definitely sorry, but repenting is not saying you're sorry. Repenting is showing you're different. 
It's actually changing and turning. Acts 3.19 says this. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. That's how we should handle our failures. We all get off course at times and we stray into things that we shouldn't, but we got to come back to center. We got to turn to God and we get off course a little bit again and we, we fail, but then you got to come back. Repentance turns us back to God. Who was speaking this verse that we just read? It was Peter. The guy that failed and blew it is now in Acts 3. He's preaching again and he's saying, repent of your sins and turn to God. You can blow it, you can fail, but it doesn't have to be the end for you. Look what he said, so that your sins may be wiped away. That's what happens when you turn to God and you repent. Your sins are wiped away. It's like they never happen. And because of that, you can release the shame that you feel. You can let it go. So many of us, we blow it, we make mistakes, and then we hold on to that failure for the rest of our lives, carrying the shame of that failure with us. Even though we've confessed it, we've repented to God as Christians, we know we're forgiven, we still walk carrying that shame so often, and we'll let that be an identifying factor in our lives. We think back to that moment, we think it defines us. But it doesn't. If we have truly confessed and repented, we just read twice that God forgives us, our guilt is gone, and he blots out our sins. He takes them away. Our shame is gone. So all you really have to do at that point is just allow God to take that shame off of you. If you've confessed and repented, listen to me, you have no right to be ashamed for your sin any longer. Because Jesus has already taken your shame. So lay it down. Stop self-loathing. God has already forgiven you. He loves you. And he does not want you to hate yourself for something he's already forgiven you for. we got to confess our sin, allow Jesus to take it away. We repent of our sins. He wipes it away. We move forward by recommitting. Here's how to fail forward. Number three, recommit. We want to confess, repent, and recommit. It's okay to look backwards and, and see where we came from. We look backwards to learn, but we look forward to win and succeed in what God has called us to do, to fail forward. I, I love that Peter got to recommit his life to Jesus and recommit himself to following him. In John chapter 21, Peter, after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, he went back to fishing at one point. But Jesus, now resurrected, came to him and found him. And he had a conversation with Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He said again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And then in verse 17, we read this. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And look at this. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Why? Because he knew he denied Jesus three times. So I think what happened was he was there having that conversation with Jesus. He asked him three times, do you love him? Do you, do you love me? And Peter's like, oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I denied you three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And now, you're, now you're asking me. Yeah, okay. And he says, you know, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. But I don't think that Jesus asked him three times in order to take a jab at him. That's what I would have done. 
Just being honest, I'd have been like, where were you when I was on the cross? John was there. You were hiding. I would have been mad just confessing right now. But Jesus said, do you love me three times? I think that he was doing this out of love for Peter. Peter denied him three times. And in the Bible, three is often the number of wholeness and completeness. In other words, you could say that Peter completely denied Jesus. But now Jesus was giving him a chance to completely affirm his devotion to him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I want to give you an opportunity to cover your betrayal with affection. That's what God wants to do for you. He wants you to confess, to repent, and to recommit. Sometimes as a pastor, we joke around about people who are always, you know, raising their hands to recommit to Jesus like every week at church. I don't know if they were raised Catholic and they feel like they need to go to confession. If so, it's like, okay, I'd rather have you overcommit than undercommit, you know? That's fine. But there's really, you know, it's biblical. That's what we see. Peter, he, he committed himself again and again and again. Judas, on the other hand, he didn't really have this experience. He left He ran from his failure. He self-destructed. He hung himself from a tree. And it's not a coincidence. In Deuteronomy 21, it says, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Judas, he, he failed, but then he failed in his failure. Hanging there on that tree under the curse of sin. And he experienced the curse of sin to its fullness, being separated from God. For eternity, But we don't have to have that as the outcome for our failure. Do you realize this? In Galatians 3.13, it says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Listen, see the connection here? For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Do you know what this means? It means we get to choose our tree. Judas chose to go to the tree of self-destruction, but you can go to the tree of redemption. The tree is the cross of Jesus Christ, referred to five times in the New Testament. He was hung on a tree. Like we sang earlier in that song, I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. Jesus allowed himself to be lifted up onto that tree and crucified so that you could be lifted up from your sin. And if you'll place your trust in him, if you'll go to the cross of salvation in your failure, you can experience redemption. And through Jesus, you can experience resurrection. Will you choose the right tree? Go to the cross. Don't run away to self-destruction. I know Judas, he probably thought, I can't go to Jesus. What if he had? What if he had just gone to Jesus in his failure? But I'm sure he said, I can't go to Jesus. I betrayed him. I'm the one that turned him in. I'm sure he was ashamed of himself. People, we're, we're blame shifters. We point the finger at other people, but Jesus, he's a shame shifter. And he'll, sh- he'll shift that shame off of you because he's already taken it on himself. So you don't have a right to feel that shame. And you can go to that tree of salvation. Every time you fail, you can return to the cross. You can be redeemed and you can be restored. You might fail, but you can fail forward, church. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads right now. Let's just take a moment if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been running from God your whole life. You've made mistake after mistake. You've had to learn the hard way that it just doesn't work. 
And maybe you feel right now that guilt that comes from sin and shame. The Bible says that if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you'll just simply say, I believe in Jesus. I declare that he is Lord. I believe that God raised him from the grave and that I can be forgiven through him. If you'll take that step of faith today, you can experience the new life that Jesus offers. You can be redeemed from sin and you can become a part of God's family. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here and you wanna take that step of faith today, will you just pray this prayer with me? Say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need your help. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I believe that he rose again from the grave so that I could be victorious over sin. Lord, thank you for loving me even in my failure. God, you knew that I would fail in advance and you're not surprised by it, but you loved me anyway. I'm gonna follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, would you stand to your feet? First, I just wanna give you a chance. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we wanna celebrate with you. We're not gonna embarrass you, but just so that we can celebrate, I want you to shoot your hand up on the count of three if you prayed that prayer saying, I gave my life to Jesus or I recommitted my life to Jesus. One, God loves you. Two, you didn't come here by accident. Three, just shoot your hand up high. Don't be ashamed. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. That's great, sir. Thank you. That's awesome, man. And isn't it good to know, church, that even as Christians, when we fail, we still can move forward with the Lord. He does not abandon us in our failure. It's not like a one-time shot, you blew it and it's over. He has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. He's gonna take you forward. If you won't give up, if you'll just trust him, allow him to forgive you and restore you. That's what he wants to do, amen? Man, it's so good to know we don't have to be ashamed of our failure because Jesus has taken that shame. So why don't we do this? Why don't we right now just open our hearts to God? Why don't we take a moment to worship him in this place and recognize that he is good, that he has redeemed us, he has restored us. This good God who is perfect has chosen to love us, imperfect people. So he deserves our worship. Come on, let's sing right now. Lift your voices.